Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here is your host, Barron's Hall of Fame advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Okay, we're going to get started. Welcome to another episode here of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. I am I actually think this is my most repeat offender. I've got doctor of leadership, Ray Kelly, not a real doctor, but uh, plays one at least uh, here within my firm, uh, who's a good friend and mentor and really excited to have him back on the show here today. Um, And just as a refresher, uh, for those of you who don't recall, uh, Ray has got an amazing background in leadership and uh, spent tons tons of time in executive positions and a very prominent broker dealer uh, and now is uh, a executive coach uh, and leadership coach for things to perform uh, and happens to be my coach as well so with that being said Ray thanks again uh, for being a guest here today maybe you could say a quick hello to the audience and and then I'll frame out kind of what we're gonna chat about a little bit today yeah I feel like uh Alex Baldwin and Saturday Night Live. I've been such a, I've been a host so many times and a guest so many times. You just bring me in as I get to play Trump occasionally in your office. Uh, that's <laughs> what it feels like. It's great to be here, John. Thanks, Ray. And thanks again uh, for joining us. So, Ray, you know, our, our last couple of podcasts and actually a, a, a fair amount of the coaching uh, that I'm doing along with, uh, with John Randall, uh, who was our last guest, in fact, has been around helping advisors start to think about how do they go from being a sole proprietor, individual practitioner, more into an ensemble practice and taking on more of that CEO type role. And, you know, Ray, as you know, um, you know, our key to success and one of the things you've been unbelievably helpful with in my own business is helping us really build a leadership culture. Um, and to you know, set that kind of foundation or that soil, so to speak. And that's really what I wanted to talk to you about today is kind of how an advisor, as they start to pivot from individual practitioner uh, to more of that CEO role, can start to build that leadership culture, which you've been really helpful uh, in helping my firm with. Yeah, and for the listeners, I'm just going to have you... Uh play along with me. I'm going to go through an exercise with you, just as I did with probably John five years ago when I started working with him. Um, I saw a slide. This is right before the pandemic broke. The speaker before me showed a slide, and I think it's an industry slide, so many of you may have seen it, which shows the baby boomers over the next decade retiring at a record rate. And that's a I called the blue line. Then there was a red line that showed the number of advisors, licensed advisors in our industry slowly but surely going down over the next 10 years. And because of that, I believe it was Investment News or Moss Adams or maybe a combination of both did a little research and asked the top 300 RIAs, independent RIAs out there, what is the expected growth rate on the revenue line per advisor over the next decade? And that number, not surprisingly, came to 14% per advisor per year. And John, you know the rule of 72. With the rule of 72, that just assumes you're basically your business is going to double every five years approximately. So if you're doing a million listening, this is where I want you to do a little math for you. Whatever your number is in your business, revenue, 
let's say it's a million, in five years you'll be doing two million, in five more years you'll be doing four million. And one of the questions I ask all of my clients, prospective clients, is do you think four million is more work than one million? And the answer is yes. A lot of them go, well, it depends on the clients. I said, I know it depends, but I work with people who do a million and I work with people who do 40 million. The ones with 40 million have a lot more people working there because it is more work. Okay, so it is more work. Second question, are you personally interested in working more hours? I literally have asked thousands of people that question in the last probably eight to 10 years. Not one person has raised their hands that I want to work more hours. So the key jingle block, the key variable to take advantage of this opportunity and quite frankly, an obligation to our clients over the next decade is leadership. It's just like, if you don't learn to develop the leadership skills, you'll kill yourself trying to take advantage of this opportunity and this obligation. So it's that key variable that's so important to growing. And here's the thing for most of the listeners out there, whether they're CPAs, financial advisors, those businesses are professions. You're either professional CPA, professional financial advisor. You spend tens of thousands of hours honing your craft. Leadership is also a profession. It's not easy, folks. So what you were talking about with John Randall in the last podcast that I listened to was back to developing younger advisors. Well, when you're going to go from one to two, two to four, four to eight, et cetera, um, and that's if you're average. This is one of the things I found out about cutting wealth management was I wasn't dealing with average. Okay, they're growing at 25 to 30% a year. They're doubling every two to three years. Boy, if you don't get leadership on, on task, you have a big problem. So here's part of the exercise. Everyone sitting at home, if you could, I want you to think of the best leader you've ever worked with. Get he or she's face in your mind. And what I want you to do is write down on a piece of paper or posty notes, the three things that made him such a great leader. Go ahead and do that at home. Just write those things down. Now I want you to get a bad leader, someone that you work with for, and it'll be hard to get their face in your mind because you'll, I could already see it in your face, John. You're kind of like, oh, I don't want to think about that person. Cringing. <laughs> yes, cringing. <laughs> I want you to write down what are the three things that made him such a poor leader, the behaviors, actions, what about them made him such a poor leader? Again, this is an exercise I've done with lots of my clients, but one of the, the best groups to do this with is with these executives, and let me explain why. Typically, I put up Olympic, Olympic rings for people to see. I want you to think of three overlapping Olympic rings, and in there, write IQ, TQ, and EQ. Okay, IQ, that's intelligence. Okay, that's how smart the person may be. TQ is technical competence. Okay, this is how good they are at the X and O's of the business. So as a financial advisor, maybe investment management or estate planning or something like that. EQ is emotional competence. That's dealing with your own emotions, understanding other people's emotions, how you're impacting them. It's the, I call them the soft skills, the human skills. They're so important. When you look at those six things you wrote down, both the good leader or great leader and the poor leader, if you're like every other group I've ever done this with, 90% of those things you wrote down, both good and bad, are in one category. John, what category do you think they're in? That would be EQ for sure. It'd be EQ. 
this is why it shocks executives because I have them put them on post-it notes and put them up on a big board and almost all of them are in that that EQ ring and then I asked the executives, how do you make hiring decisions? What do you look for? And what did they tell me? Technical proficiency, everything but EQ. Smart yeah. people that are good at what they do. You got it. And that just blows them away. Of The difference between an average performer and a great performer is all EQ. The difference between a poor performer and an average performer is all EQ. It's all EQ. So in terms of leadership, one of the big things that we've done at Wealth Management that I've worked with you and my clients on is we work on EQ side. It is the most important part of growing a leadership culture. Okay, and I just wanted everyone to understand this stuff. It isn't just that soft crap. It's, it's the Jenga block. It is the most important stuff that will lead to the one million, the two, two to four. Is Yeah, Ray, extremely well said i'm actually uh remembering and i apologize to the audience i'm losing my voice a little bit too much talking uh evidently over the last week or so but um i remember us going through that exercise uh here in long island in my conference room with our leadership team um and i i remember we actually used sticky notes little yellow sticky notes and I remember actually used my TV to do this. And by the way, there's still smudge marks on my TV, just so you know. Um, but the smudge marks are all in that circle uh, of EQ because that's where everybody uh, put their, uh, you know, their their yellow sticky note. But um, I, yeah, I, I can't um, help but sharing or help but share. It's different work. I like a lot of what you said there. One of the things that I really like is that you call leadership a profession, right? And it is much different work. And I just think about the work that I do in my business and it is all EQ. It is all helping people with EQ. It's dealing with emotions. It's helping people feel safe and you know, helping people really understand the culture and the values and really feel like a family. Uh, within the organization. So I completely agree. And I also, um, I want to caution advisors as well, right? And, and sometimes this comes up in coaching sessions with advisors who are, you know, going from a million to two or two to four. Um, because it's different work, it can go bad if you don't build the skill set yourself of becoming a better leader. Right. So the biggest fear most advisors have, Ray, is, well, I've you know spent most advisors 15 or 20 years working my butt off to build, you know, what's a great practice. I'm making a great income and life is good. And I've got this great lifestyle practice, I guess we call it in the industry these days, but I'm not done and I want to grow. And they get to this crossroads and they go, yes, but I can't develop an advisor or my advisor isn't ready. Or what happens if they steal all my clients, right? If I take my clients and reassign them to them. And I've heard stories, right? Um, I even had a circumstance or two back in the day where you didn't trust the wrong person or your leadership skills weren't strong enough. And you know that transition to a junior didn't go very well, right? Or they start to feel more entitled. So I don't even know if there's a question in there, Ray, just sort of an observation. I'd be interested to see if you have any kind of thoughts on any of that. Yeah, I do. I have a, a couple of thoughts. <clears throat> One is, is a, a principle. 
Okay, there's an old adage that says satisfaction is expectations realized. Often I see situations where people are dissatisfied. So it may be a, an employee of yours, uh, it may be a, a client where they're dissatisfied. So what that means is the expectation hasn't been met. The vast majority of the time where I see dissatisfaction occur, especially in the workplace, is expectations weren't clear, okay? So I'm gonna have people write down a series of equations like it was a math equation. The first one is satisfaction equals expectations realized. Now I'm gonna give you four things about expectation because this is what I find is expectations weren't clear. Okay, so the first equation I want you to write is expectations plus support equals builds trust. So you set clear expectations and then you as a leader provide the support necessary to help this person meet their expectations. What happens is you have a happy employee and builds trust. Because the reason why people leave an organization isn't because it's a, it's a bad company, bad anything, it's trust in the leader. It is the number one thing that keeps people and the number one thing that drives them more around. So setting clear expectations and then providing the support. The second part of the equation, expectations with no support equals erodes trust. It's pretty basic expectations. You say, hey, I need you to do all these things. This is what I'm going to do. This is what you can expect of me, expect of you. And then you don't follow through as a leader. You don't provide them the leadership necessary to be successful. Eventually starts chipping away. They just distrusting. And that's what makes them leave. Now, here's the other part of the, what I so frequently see. No expectations with support equals stupid. Think about that. I have no expectations, but I continue to support you. I'm gonna give you all these resources. I'm gonna help you out all this stuff and whatever you do, go it's for fine. it. It's fine. God, don't tell me you don't see this all the time. We're just like, it happens all the time. No expectations with support equals stupid. Yeah, the old uh, saying, right? If you aim at nothing, you'll hit nothing. Right, I remember that from back in the day. But how about aim at nothing, you hit nothing, but I'll give you all the bullets and I'll give you the training and I'll give you all the different things. And still, that's not very bright as a lead. The next, the final equation is no expectations, no support equals wild west. Chaos. I see that happen a lot of independent groups. Hey, just come on and join us and do whatever the heck you want. We're not going to do anything for you. We just have a vendor relationship. You know, occasionally you will you'll show up to a meeting or two if you want to sign me up that sounds great a lot of value <laughs> yeah. that doesn't lead to maybe occasionally it works okay so that's part of this okay so expectations is a big part of it in terms of leadership perspective but then it's john as a leader i want to change the entitled way of thinking that so many of us have and it's not because we're bad people or bad anything it's it's driven in society. I mean, you just watch the, the politics for the last 70 years. You know, I'm 55 years, so I only have 55 years of real thing, but it's back to we'll take care of you. Everything should be perfect. I love the State of the Union addresses that the presidents give every year where they just basically promise everything. We'll take care of you. We'll get rid of every problem in the world in America. Yes, and, I believe you. Yes, it's just like <laughs> expectations are perfection, utopia. That's ridiculous, okay? And this is why people are so dissatisfied is expectations are so high and they can't, there's no way people can deliver it. 
So I actually try to turn it around for people. And I learned this from um, Dan Sullivan long, long time ago in the 1990s, which was the entrepreneurial way of thinking of no entitlement. And what he encourages you to do is make two fundamental decisions. If you make these two fundamental decisions, I can assure you this potentially can change your life if you view life this way. This is why I got lucky to run into this in the, in the mid 90s. It changed my life because I made these two fundamental decisions very consciously. The first decision was it is up to me and only me for my financial security, my success. Another way of saying that is no one has to take care of me. It is up to me. Okay, so that's number one. Number two fundamental decision is I must first create value before I get value in return. I must first create value before I get value in return. Notice I'm not guaranteed value in return because of the first decision. I'm owed or entitled nothing. It's up to me. It's, I have to provide value. That doesn't mean my clients think it's valuable or the employee who works with me thinks it's valuable. But it's a big part of building a business. Like you say, if you want to bring clients on, you as the leader and you actually start handing clients off to a junior, you have to provide value in your organization that they feel like they're developing, they're growing. There's a support structure. You're not entitled that they actually see the value. Okay, when you make these two fundamental decisions, John, how do you feel? How do you feel when you say it's up to me and only me and I must create value? I personally feel like I'm in control. Yeah, you feel empowered. You feel like you're in control. But for most people, they feel something before that. It is up to me and only me. Okay, I must create value. It's kind of scary, but it's, here's the thing that I talk to my clients about. Who do you want it to be up to? I hate to tell you this, John, no one cares about you more than you, okay? You may like that. Your mom and dad maybe close second, but bottom line, in terms of your long-term success, you want it to be up to you. That's how an entrepreneur views the world, okay? And when you put those two things together and you consciously decide, you feel empowered. Ray, love it. And, um, you know, probably one of the most powerful things you've helped me with is help our culture within our organization begin to think that way, right? And I know we're, we're together very intentional and deliberate on how we communicate with our employees and partners, et cetera. So I want to just... I want to step back, right? And kind of reframe. So a lot of amazing tidbits, love it all, clear expectations plus support. That's the ticket, right? That's that's what that's what we want. For a lot of advisors, this is where I think they get caught or stuck. They don't have clear expectations. They don't know how to provide the support. And you take that a step further they have an expectation, which is where I think things go wrong. When you've been successful as an advisor and you've worked your butt off and you do have some of that entrepreneurial spirit within you and you do believe it's up to me and only me and that in order to 
you know, create something, I need to first create value before I get anything in return, if I'm lucky enough to. But then in walks 25-year-old advisor who started as a licensed sales assistant or unlicensed sales assistant or came over from a local bank or a wirehouse that didn't make it on their own yet. They didn't have that entrepreneurial spirit, right? They didn't, they don't have that belief system. And this is where I think the disconnect comes. And the advisor who's achieved this, hopefully listening to this podcast, built this million dollar plus business, is going, why isn't everyone just like me? I don't know why they don't see it. The way I see it, you need to work hard. You know, I put in, I walked uphill, right? Barefoot in the snow, both ways uphill, that whole story. And we look for advisors who want to go through the same pain that we did, get the same bruises as my you know, partner, Jake Dunlap talks about bloody knees and eating beanie weenies, his favorite thing to say, which makes me laugh every time he says it, by the way. So I just want to frame that up, Ray, and go, you know, go back to your five levels of leadership. I'm level twoing it for you here. I want you to level three it and maybe four it for us. So therein lies the problem. That's where advisors get stuck. And that's what we've been spending a lot of energy on. I built this business, got a couple juniors on my team or a junior, I want to add one. But they just don't have it, Ray. They don't want to work hard. They don't want to do it. They want to get paid all this money now. They want to pay out rate and bonuses and vacations and, you know, company cars and time off and all this stuff. And advisors get frustrated and they go, no one's like me. I can't build the business beyond me. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah, it's, it has a limitation. And um to how wide your shoulders are. And I think this is one of the reasons why people start talking to you and I is they're frustrated. Because let's go back to the no entitlement decision number one. It is up to me. Because you put those two decisions together, it's up to me and only me. And I must first create value before I get value in return. Um, I'm owed or entitled nothing. These young people getting it understanding the long hours and work that you went through and stuff like that. Well, I hate to tell you, that's an entitlement statement. They don't get it. In today's society, it's, it's structured differently. Okay, think about most of us out, out there. One of the things we all could do is we could get on the phone and dial and dial and dial and dial. When was the last time you picked up the phone when you didn't recognize who was on the other end? It just doesn't work anymore. So we've changed the model, and I won't go into that today. The model is flipped over. It is different. But the big thing I want for people to think about, I'm going to give them a quick model to help them think about growth. Okay. So if you're stuck, not even you're stuck, but you're just thinking about, hey, I want to go from one to two, two to four. There's three things that you can leverage. All Everything falls into these three categories. Your brain, your back. Or your pocketbook. Okay, you could hire someone, your pocketbook. Okay, buy some technology, whatever, all these different things you can leverage for growth, brain back or pocketbook. John, of the three, which one has the least upside? Brain back or pocketbook? Back. Back. Okay, the back is the limit 24 hours in a day, 168 hours in a week. It happens to be the one I've watched business owners go to the most. 
and it isn't even close. Back, 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 back. I sound like Chris Berman, okay, and ESPN. <laughs> You're back. It's convenient. I can count on it, okay? It's reliable. It's all of these different things. I go to my back, but all of a sudden you get to a point in your business, typically for most advisors, between one and two million revenue. They gotta, they have to start thinking about other ways, okay, to, to leverage this. Of the three, brain, back, or pocketbook, which one has the biggest upside? I'd have to think brain. Yes. You have a really big pocketbook, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> when you learn how to use your noggin, human potential of the brain, you start to learn to leverage other people's brains. You learn how to leverage other people's money, other people's backs, stuff like that. So the answer usually is in the brain. How do I leverage my brain in these different things? And one of the things you and I uh, have figured out over the last few years, again, Sullivan coins it as who, not how. Start training your brain to start, stop trying to figure out how to get my, this person trained, how I'm going to do this, but who can help me train this new advisor? Who can help me get that CP alliance going more productively? Who, who, who? Now, here's the thing about it. The brain backer pocketbook, most people don't realize this. It's, we've had what I call our triple E's, our education experiences and environment are heavily slanted that say back, 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 back. Okay, so John, K through 12, when you're in K through 12, were you encouraged to do your homework with your buddies, take your exams with your buddies? Nope, that was called cheating. Yes. <laughs> still is, I believe, in K through 12, but yes. Still is. And then in college, all of a sudden we went to college and part of the college that changed is we had to go do group projects. Remember group projects? And what did we think about group projects if you're like most people? I think you thought they were easier, right? And you got to kind of, no, I, I think well, I, I, I felt I, like I love group projects because I was able to uh, kind of, you know, get, get knowledge from others as long as you got the right group. That was the key. That was the right part of the key. But most people didn't like group projects because it was the first time in their lives they had to rely on others to get their grade, to get the project done. And it was frustrating. So-and-so didn't do their section. I had all of that stuff. It, it was different. It was when it gets 12 years of schooling, all of a sudden we started doing group projects. Now we get into business. Okay. A lot of solo practitioners are really good at the K through 12 stuff. But in order to, to go from one to two, two to four, 20 to 40, 40 to 80 million, you have to do, okay, group projects. It's all about teaming, leveraging your mind, other people's backs, writing checks, all of these different things. It's a different skill set. And that's real important for people to understand, okay, you're going against how you have been trained. You know, one of our mentors is a guy named Doug Lenick. And one of the things that Doug likes to say is you do what you do because you've done. What that means is you do what you do because it works for you until it doesn't. All of a sudden, the 2 million way of thinking doesn't get me to four. And the four doesn't get me to eight because my back is sore. So you have to learn how to leverage other parts of, of the brain and other people's brains. Amazing, Ray. I mean, that's a, that's a spot that if I was a listener, I'd listen to that section over and over and over again. I mean, 
brain back pocketbook. We've what was it? We do what we done because wait, we do what we do because of what we've done. Is that what it was? Something yep. like that. Yep. Um, all great, uh, great kind of little phrases that make things that seem, you know, obvious, right? Um, a little bit less obvious. <laughs> if yeah, I, that, call, I call those just they're little tools in the toolbox. These phraseologies to help you when you're stuck. Okay, where it's just like. Anytime I'm stuck, I go back to those tools, brain back or pocketbook. Okay. And I've now learned from you the phraseology of the who, not how. And I love that. All of a sudden, instead of saying go to your brain, okay, go to other people's backs, start thinking about it, change the question you ask. Now, how do I get this done? Who is the best person to help me get this done? Holy yeah. stars. It's a different way of thinking and watch your answers come up different. And totally Ray, Love it. Love it. As you know, and it's interesting. Um, <clears throat> you know, you call it the curse of knowledge, right? And that's, that's to me, we're having a coach who's been where or helped others get where it is you're trying to go become so important because, you know, in my mind, I kind of look at it, you know, just to go backwards a little in our presentation, every time I hear someone tell me a reason they can't do it, it just screams in my mind, right? That kind of entrepreneurial spirit part, right? It's up to me and only me. This is not my problem that you are not succeeding, but it's my job as a leader to be able to be self-aware enough to recognize that and ultimately help that staff person or advisor or family member, whatever it may be, actually solve that problem because it's only up to me and there's so as the ceo of my organization if something doesn't go well it's always my fault even though i might have not had anything to do with it i put the person in my firm in place to lead that initiative and if i didn't help he or she succeed it's on me because i put the wrong person or i didn't support them the right way or uh whatever it may be and you couple that um, with what advisors kind of contend with in, in this going from soul, I keep going back to this soul practitioner because I just hear it over and over again. And, you know, I, I'm Ray working on probably at a half dozen to a dozen, whether it be acquisitions or recruits or whatever it may be to come join us. And every one of them is the same. They're all 100 million to 150 million of assets or maybe 200 million of assets under management doing a million to a million eight in revenue and it's the same thing it's an advisor who built the business it's you know either a couple of staff people supporting that advisor or a junior advisor that when you get under the hood the question you ask is well why isn't so-and-so buying your business or taking over as your successor as he or she is just not right they're just, in fact, I have a group visiting me today um, that's, I won't share with from where, two advisors coming to visit, junior advisor, they want to sell me the business, not the junior advisor. It's not about economics, it's their belief that that junior advisor might not be the right person. It's my belief that that junior advisor is the right person because I know how to develop that junior advisor and will and he'll be super capable of doing it but the the folks who built this organization don't have the leadership skills don't have the eq 
to be able to actually develop that junior advisor. So, you know, as I'm thinking about it, Ray, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, but um, what's the secret sauce? Like what, what, where do you start? Is it thinking differently? Is it hiring a leadership coach? Is it finding the right person? Is it kind of going through your own personal Woody Woofy, which I think a lot of our listeners know, where, where would you start if you were that million and a half dollar producer, you have a junior, you don't know what to do, you know your business is going to get to, you know, two, three, four, five million in the future. What do you do first? Well, that's a great question because part of um, being a leader, and it's for all of us, we're all leaders, whether you like it or not. It's all about influence. And one of the questions you've heard me ask John before is, at least if some of what you do is observable, and you say, of course, and then at least some of what you observe influences you, and the answer is yes. So by definition, we're both leaders and followers nearly all of the time. Okay, so if you're listening, you know, well, there's just two of us, I'm not really a leader, and it's like, you are a leader, okay, whether you like it or not. Um, so where do you start? So often as a leader, <clears throat> I have to know, I have to be out in front, know where we're going. Sometimes that's really hard, okay? I've been in positions as a leader where I didn't know where we were going, okay? But that's my job. As a leader, I have to need to find out what the vision is, where we're going. Sometimes it was gray, wasn't perfectly crystal clear. But once I had the vision, often the first step was the hardest, okay? Think about your um, <clears throat> GPS on your phone, okay? You're at a parking garage and you want to, figure out a way to get home. So you type in your home address, hit the button. It doesn't tell you how to get out of the garage. I hate it. That happens to you too. Three wrong turns out of yes. every garage. You never Rest know that first turn to go. I know it well. <laughs> leadership. Sometimes you don't know what the first step is. So my, my, without giving a general statement for all of you, I'm going to give you a general statement, which is head Northeast. It's directionally, you need to go the growth direction, northeast. As you start driving, <clears throat> the GPS thing starts to go, hey, we're, we're, we're going south. And you start to make some corrections. Because one of the things I, I could tell you about adult learning and adult growing is another simple formula, 70-20-10. 70-20-10. 70% of adult learning and adult growing is from doing. You just got to go take some swings. You got to go practice. 10% of adult learning and growing is books and classes, podcasts. This is a 10%er today. You're not going to be a great leader, great financial advisor or CPA because you listen to a podcast. It's the 10%. It's part of the recipe. The 20% is coaching and mentoring. I believe that's the multiplier. It's the coach or the mentor, make sure you do do the right exercises, you do the right things, don't make the same mistakes they made. They make sure you read the right books, listen to the right podcasts. So I think is a safety tip for a lot of people, I think that would be it. It's back to who's your who to help you go to the next level. I can't tell you how many successful people that I've worked with where they look back on their career, including my own, it was about mentorship. It was about a coach, a boss, someone that took them under their wing and really, really helped them. 
if you're stuck or even not stuck, if you're doing well, but you want to go to a whole other level, that 20% of adult learning and growing is the coaching them in. I think it's critical. Okay, so it's one of many steps. So I tell you step one for all leaders. Okay, the first job of leadership is to define reality with as much clarity as possible. Is to define reality with as much clarity as possible. It is, what do I have here? Strengths, yeah. all of that stuff. Love it, Ray. Well said. I love your parking garage. It's one of the most frustrating things. I'm going to steal that one like I steal most of your stuff, but that's a great, uh, great analogy. It's so frustrating. And I think the point you're making is a great one. Um, you know, you, you, I call it casting vision, right? And, you know, you, you've got to know where you're going. The, you know, the audience has heard me talk a little bit about vision, plan and desire, Have you know, having a vision is what everything starts with and go back to what you said before right you know in building trust is having a clear expectation to me is the same as vision it's the same as that gps telling you exactly where you're going to go but that coupled with support is how you ultimately build trust and of course there's a lot more that goes along with that but i think it's a really good way to start to kind of kind of close things down here. Um, you know, that's a theme of the podcast over the last couple of episodes um, has been this, again, this, you know, this advisor, right, who wants to build a real business, become a CEO, uh, become a leader. And I think, you know, you put it really well before to make it very, very simple is, you know, have a vision of what you want it to look like make sure you communicate your expectations to that advisor and that he or she understands that they need to create value right before they're going to actually receive the benefits from that value and i think if you can articulate that and that's one of the things we've learned from you ray is how to say that in a way that really resonates with people and better yet, the way we've been able to use you as a who is we bring you in as a prophet from another land um, to communicate it for us. And we echo it and surround sound. Um, but it's nice to have an independent kind of consultant attached to our organization um, that can espouse the way you espouse um, all of these little catchy sayings and these learnings and these anecdotal ways to think about things. And it starts to become part of the culture. It starts to become part of the DNA. And then as long as you support it the right way, and you're not even going to have all the answers. I mean, I think about what we've built over the last number of years, training classes and woody woofies for every advisor and every staff person and offsite retreats and making sure people are really understanding the vision, mission, values of the organization. When you start to put all that stuff together, as I really think about it, just started with a vision going, hey, we've got this opportunity to keep growing and growing and growing. You know what the issue is? We didn't have enough advisors to keep up with our level of growth. And I was able to see a bigger future as to how quickly we could grow. And the opportunity was to give advisors that fertile soil, we like to call it, and I think we might have stole that from you too, Ray. Uh, but that fertile soil where they can grow, right? Where they can grow and they can feel that trust um, so that they can create what they want for themselves in your organization. 
Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll add one thing to the, for the audience. One of the things that we really became aware of, you and I working together, was <clears throat> we didn't have enough leaders. You were frustrated. It wasn't moving fast enough. You were bringing on people, but I was just like, John, it takes time to develop your leadership team. And it was taking time. There were actually some very fantastic leaders, but to achieve the big vision that you had stated, we needed to go find leaders. And that was back to the who, not how. You brought a bunch of them out. Okay, I, I think of Jake as one, but Dave and Jason and Jason, and uh, John Wellington. Just There's a whole bunch of people you brought in. All of a sudden, we have a, a stable of really strong leaders to help take it to the whole another level about expectations. We needed to have the support for these folks to help them achieve what they wanted for themselves. They're Woody with you. Completely um, agree. And th those are those who's, and I'm going to keep you out of trouble. You forgot Jeff's name. So Jeff as well. There you go, Jeff. Cause he's a little, he's a little sensitive at times. He listens, so, yes. he listens too. Yeah. Yep. Here's, here's the thing for the audience. I'll leave you guys with this. Now, John talks about the curse of knowledge, but part of the curse of knowledge is, as the leader of the organization, you've been thinking about where you're going, what you needed to do for months, if not years, before it comes out of your lips and you start talking to people about it. Okay, that's the curse of knowledge. And the CEOs sometimes, the leaders of organizations, don't understand why people don't get it the first time they articulate it. Okay, so here's the analogy. I want you to think of a tree. Okay. And the analogy is the tree, when it falls in the woods, you cut it down, the people get it. Okay. So what you do as a leader is you get an ax out and you start hitting the tree. You're trying to get through to them, trying to get people to get it. And you got a whole forest of trees. Now, here's the thing about it is if you hit the tree at the same angle, just say it the same way over and over again, what happens to your ax? It gets stuck. So what you have to do is change your angle. You say it different ways. Okay, you realize you have some hardwoods and you have some softwoods. Hey, my axe works really good on hardwoods, but it doesn't work so good on the softwoods. So next thing you know, you look for who's. You bring in a saw, a prophet from another land. They're like chainsaws going through parts of your forest. You don't care as the leader, as long as trees fall down. You don't want, it's not about getting credit. I want people to get it and be on board with this vision. So one of the things you have to do is communicate times a factor of 10. It's hitting the tree over and over again. You're not entitled that they get it, that the tree will fall, that they'll get your message. So you're always looking, it's up to me, the leader, for the tree to get it. Okay, so I'm looking for chainsaws, saws, picks, winds. I don't care. I just want tr trees to fall, but I have to actually communicate 10 times more than I think I need to, to get trees to fall. And I think that's a big part of leadership and some, quite frankly, inexperienced leaders go, why don't they get it? My junior just doesn't get it. They don't work as hard as I do. That's your problem, not theirs. Okay, you have to figure out how to get through that hard wood that has a knot in it. Okay. Guilty, Ray, I was, as you know, I was that guy, those were my words. Why don't they get it? I just don't understand. It's so simple. And, and I think that's how a lot of advisors feel and they think they're special. And they are special. They just don't realize that it's up to them to develop the people in their organization and to teach them how to think differently, teach them how to build that EQ, all the stuff that we were talking about. So, hey, Ray. It's up, John, it's up to me. It's up to me. Only me. I must first create value before value is returned. And when you accept that, anytime you're feeling frustrated, you're mad, angry with people, 
I can guarantee you're entitled. You're entitled. They'll get it. Look in the mirror and go, it's up to me to get through to that hardwood. But then not. Hundred percent. As you know, one of my favorite sayings is the leader, it's the leader, it's always the leader. So completely agree. Um gems again, Dr. Kelly. Uh, this is why we have you on. You will be back, whether you like it or not, my friend. Um, and I, I would just say to the audience, just to wrap, um you know, a cu couple of things that I think are really important. Hey, I'm recording this with Ray here going, man, there's so much value in this thing. I mean, for our our listeners, it's exactly why I do this podcast. Um, I mean, it costs you zero, you get to listen. I mean, there are gems in here. I would also share, and I don't usually, um, I, I really try not to do infomercials, and this one's not for me, but uh, I know Ray has little capacity left, <laughs> uh, and we're taking a lot of his capacity. But for those who are really serious about becoming a better leader themselves, and building a leadership development factory, as we kind of coin it in our practice, Think to Perform and Ray and his team and Doug and the whole group uh, are as good as it gets. Um, and if you're serious about doing it, you do, in my opinion, need to bring out a profit, bring in a profit from another land um, and expedite that learning. I think that was one of the points that Ray was making before that, you know, 20%, right, of, of adult learning it just goes faster. It's not that you can't figure it out, but I depend on Ray to read my books for me. I don't have that much time to read books. So Ray's my who. I could just get the knowledge from him. It it works a lot better and he can go meet with other advisors and take all of his experience and bring me and our team the tidbits that we need. And that's how you go quicker and how you go faster. And that's where you kind of think about that back or the brain, I think you call it back or pocketbook, right? You know, you're back. If you're a million, million and a half, $2 million producer, your shoulders are only so broad, right? You're, that's about all any great advisor can do on their back, right? Some figure out how to do a little bit more, but it comes to your brain. And what I figured out is I used my brain the best I could till I figured out that I've got a pretty good big brain. I'm pretty smart. But man, if I just find who's who are smarter than me or as smart at me or good at other things, let me just use my pocketbook as I'm growing the business to bring them in. Uh, and, you know, the old saying, when all gro when one grows, we all grow. Right. So with that, Ray, any final thoughts or anything that you had? I, I mean, I'd like to just hit one more time where we find you, uh, or where our listeners can find you. But anything else you wanted to add as a last little Kellyism? I, I don't have anything else to add, John. I appreciate you guys inviting me on. I appreciate the infomercial. As you know, Ray, I'm pretty booked, but I'm willing to talk to folks. Uh, my team is, is, is scaling up just like you're, we're heading Northeast. Um, it's been a pleasure as always. Um, and I, I will leave it at that. Thanks, Ray. And if someone does want to find you, what's the best email or website? Where do we find you? Yeah, R. Kelly at think to perform the word think the number two perform.com. It's probably the best place to find me. Awesome. Thanks, bud. Thanks for another great session. Uh, and to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. If you or someone you know could be a good guest and add some value like Dr. Kelly did today, uh, please shoot us an email. So thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of summer here, and we will see you all in a couple of weeks. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next week.